two of the most popular pastimes of college students are alcohol and sex. Is that pretty fair to say? I think so. And, um, you know, the church has been really silent on these two big topics for, for a long time, which is unfortunate because these are very relevant topics to your guys' lives and to everybody in America. And so I want to talk about uh, alcohol today and um, to illustrate some of the silence that we've had in terms of like pastoral teaching and curriculum in churches, I want to demonstrate something. There's a, a website that probably nobody really cares about and knows about, but it's called Sermon Central. Anybody heard of Sermon Central? That's what I thought. Um, Sermon Central is a, a website that a lot of pastors go to um, where there's basically like 100,000 sermons. Uh, different people from around the, the world can upload a sermon, and it helps other pastors as they're studying a particular topic. I said, how many sermons at Sermon Central are on beer? Well, here's what I found. I actually looked up some other subjects, too. I discovered that out of the 100,000 sermons, there were 100 sermons on money. That's not very good because money's kind of important in your life too, isn't it? It's right up there with the beer and sex. Um, there was 106 sermons on sex. That's a little higher. There were seven sermons on dating. Okay, so we're really helping people in the area of dating. That's wonderful. And then, drum roll, please. For beer, there was zero sermons. I couldn't find one sermon on beer. Um, and, and that's tragic because we don't want to avoid this subject that is so crucial to you guys. And it's not just college campus, campuses. It's the whole nation. For example, I tried to figure out how much money do Americans spend on alcohol? Well, I couldn't find statistics for last year and this current year. Of course, we don't know. The year is not done. But I found for 2021... And let me say this first. Um, the United States consumers spent $27 billion on coffee. Oh, sorry, $21 billion. That was wrong. But we spent $250 billion. That's a quarter of a trillion, if you guys aren't good at math. Uh, but you all are better than me. So if I was wrong, let me know. But that's, isn't that a lot of money? I don't know, that just seemed like a lot of money. I'm like, wow, $250 billion on alcohol. Whoa. Um, if you don't believe me, just kind of watch the Super Bowl this year. You know, half of the ads will be on alcohol. And, um, you know, it's just, it's really, it's really crucial that we talk about it. And, um, and so that's why I want to do this message called Beer in the Bible with you. Let me look at my notes. I want to make sure I'm not forgetting anything important. Okay. Well, that's it in terms of culture, but I did want to talk about this as well. Um, but first I want to pray. And let's just pray that, that the Lord will open our hearts and, and hopefully equip you guys practically and and, uh, and really meet with you in a, in a really special way today. So join me if you would. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Uh, God, I thank you for this opportunity to talk about a topic that is relevant and important to our lives, to everybody at the university, and really this entire world. 
what does your word say about alcohol? How do we handle it? What What is your thoughts about it? Father, we pray that you'll bring clarity today. And I pray above and beyond everything that you'll anoint me with your Holy Spirit, that you will speak to our hearts, and that you'll use me prophetically this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we get into what the Bible says about alcohol, um, I thought I could share a little bit of my story with you. And um, my uh, interaction with alcohol is, is somewhat typical, but in some ways it's, it's not, so I'll share. Um, I grew up in a home with uh, parents that drank alcohol and very liberally uh, on a daily basis. Um, I don't really have huge memories of my family getting completely like just blasted and with fighting and the screaming and, and all the associated behaviors that can go with alcohol. Um, certainly there was heavy drinking, but I didn't experience that, which I'm grateful for. Uh, my extended family certainly had alcohol at parties and, and gatherings all the time, but that was really my earliest interaction uh, with alcohol. And then for me personally, we have to go all the way back to my first year at Portage Northern High School. So sit right back and enjoy the story of Nino's High School. It's not the most exciting, but this is me raw and unfiltered. I'm going to let you know it all. So are you ready? It's, it's, I'm being transparent with you today. Um, I was a freshman and uh, looking for a place to belong. And just like many people, um, I wanted to be liked by others. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be, you know, cool, whatever that means. Wasn't sure if I was. <laughs> and um, it was in Algebra, um, Algebra 2. I hated that class, but Algebra 2, my freshman year, still remember it. And I met a guy named Dwight. Uh, we're still good friends today. And uh, Dwight and I started talking. I'm like, wow, that's a pretty cool guy. And I don't know, he must have thought I was cool. And so, We'd have fun. We'd get in trouble in class and stuff like that. Sorry, five years. She just said that. Um, I'm sure that surprises you too. But um, we would joke around. We had a good time. Then he said to me, "Hey, uh, I'm going. My my friends and I are going to a party tonight. Did you hear about the party?" I'm like, "Oh, there's a party. Oh, you know, that must be where all the cool people are." And he said, "Yeah, Chris is driving. He's already got his license. Can we pick you up?" I said, "All right, sounds good." So this was my second semester of my freshman year. Um, so I was 14 years old. So I took a, so took a shower, second shower for the day. I blew dry my mullet. Uh, they put on my nice 80s clothing. And um, I mean, mullets, mullets were actually, yeah, we, we came up with mullets. You're welcome. That was my generation. All right, that was me. And so I blew dry my mullet, uh, put on my clothing, and they picked me up. And so uh, my parents were definitely not like helicopter parents. They just gave me a lot of freedom. I mean, they, they gave me rules and structure, but I was pretty much just, just go do what you're going to do. So Chris Norman pulled up in his um, Plymouth Duster. None of you know what that means. It was, it was horrendous. And... Um, and I said goodbye to my parents. They said, what time will you be back? I'm like, I don't know, maybe like midnight? <laughs> Make it 11. Okay, 11. Um, 
So I get in the car, man, I was in the car with Kevin and Dwight and Chris, and I just felt, I felt so like in the in crowd, you know what I mean? And that's important when you're that age, you know, I felt like this is amazing, I'm going to this party, and so we show up to a party, I'm 14, and I didn't expect it to be like this, but there was this, like, steel barrel in the midst of all the people that were gathering around it, like a feeding frenzy of sharks, I'm like, oh, what is this? I come up and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's beer, you know, and I'm only 14. Um, and then somebody filled a cup, you know, and then they just handed it to me, here you go. I'm like, and then of course I try to act cool, like, all right, yeah, awesome, as if I knew what I was doing. And uh, I took a sip and I remember, and that was, I think, my first time of ever drinking beer, to be honest. Um, and I didn't like it. It tasted, it made me think of my, uh, my grandparents' breath. Because I would, you know, I would associate that smell. And my grandparents were not alcoholics. I mean, they drank beer in a, a very good, healthy way. You know, they never drank to excess, never saw them drunk at all. But it's just a smell that, as a kid, you remember that smell. Very poignant, right? And that's, okay, I know the smell. And I tried to drink it because I tried to act cool. And I just hated it. So here's what I did. And this is me being raw and unfiltered. Um, Hey, I gotta go to the bathroom. Hold on. I went in the bathroom. I literally pulled, poured it down the sink. And because it was so nasty. So then I came out with my empty cup, and they're like, you know, hey, you want some more? I'm like, no, I'm good. And I acted drunk the whole night. I really did. Because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. Well, here is where Satan really got a stronghold in my life. Because on Monday, um, I was in class, and Everybody was talking about the party, you know, how awesome the party was and who was there. And I remember being at the party, I forgot to say this, but all the, like, the cool seniors were there. Like the guys that had beards and mustaches already. You know, here I am, 14. And if you think I look young now, I mean, I probably looked about seven. You know, I just, I always hated that, man. I always looked so young. Man, when I married Tammy, I probably looked like I was 12. I'm not kidding. It's, it's a curse. And that became, it was a curse that became a blessing. But like I looked so young, and there was these guys with like beards and mustaches, and like this is the tough guy, man, fights and stuff. So just the the world through the eyes of a young person, you know. And the next day at school, all the people are talking about the party, and this one uh, girl in my class, I don't I don't even know who she is. She she uh, addressed me and said, "Yeah, I saw you at the party. You were wasted. That's so cool." Yeah, man, I felt like well, that's how I belong. You know, this is how you get in. You get in by getting drunk. You get in by going to the parties. And so I went to a party the next weekend as well. And then I went to another party. And then I took another sip. And the next time I forced myself to take a third sip. Then after a couple months of it, I no longer pulled the beer. I began to drink and I began to drink in excess. And uh, again, I was a young guy. I was 14 years old. And, um, by the time I turned 15 that summer, and then uh, I began to really experiment with heavy drinking. And so I don't want to make this sermon all about me, so I'm not, I'm not going to furnish you with all the details, and you guys know my story and know the sins that I walked in. And that, that was really a, that, that was a, um, a germinate, that seed that I just told you about was a seed that germinated into my sophomore, junior, senior year of high school that led to my hurt and pain and struggle and sin and ultimate uh, felony charge uh, from alcohol and my stupidity and many other drugs. And so, um, 
So I understand alcohol, okay? I'm not like a pastor that's like, you know, I'm Mr., you know, pure, perfect pastor that doesn't know how to talk about beer. I get it. I've been there. I've seen it. I've lived it. I have addiction in my family all over the place. I, I get it, okay? I understand what's going on. I love frat parties. I know. Been there. Done that. I feel most at home at a fraternity party. It's the, weird to say that. Like, if I walk into a frat party, it's like to witness. I'm like, ah, I'm back home. Like, not that I want to get drunk, but this is my people. You see what I'm saying? I get that. That's my world. I'm very comfortable there. That's how I lived for many, many years. And so I, I believe that maybe God could help you to hear my story and to look at the scriptures together as I share what I, I lived through. And one thing I discovered is you as a college student, even as a non-student, how, how do you understand how you're supposed to um, interact with alcohol? What role is it supposed to play in your life? Well, you need to know the Word of God. Right? You have to understand what the scriptures say about beer and wine and strong alcohol. And this is surprising to people, but the Bible says a lot about alcohol. Did you know that? I mean, tons. It talks about alcohol more than many other subjects. Let's, let's look at it. I, I put some of the cues up there for you. Uh, if you go to the next slide. Um, the word wine occurs 39 times in the New Testament. Wine occurs 189 times in the Old Testament. And then they didn't have things like Jack Daniels and vodka. They didn't call it that. So in the scriptures, they call it strong drink. And strong drink occurs 19 times. That would be whiskey, rum, strong, you know, 80 proof and higher type of thing. Now, when the, wor when the word wine is used in the scriptures, um, it doesn't always refer to alcohol. Um, and I get that. Many times when the word wine is used, it's, it's basically something that we would call like grape juice, non-fermented grape juice and ceremonial uses. But the Bible talks extensively about the good old-fashioned, fermented, can get you drunk, wine and strong drink. All right, So that's what I'm talking about today. We're not talking about like non-fermented grape juice. We're talking about the good old-fashioned vino, as the Italians say. And, um, and that, that's really the only thing that's relevant anyway, because listen, college students aren't tossing down, uh, is this reality? Well, hey, anybody want to watch the Ohio State game with me as Michigan plays them? We're going to, well, you're all going to be at that This is a, this is not a good example. All right, Purdue. Because we're going to kill them, right? We're going to destroy them. So no one's going to the Purdue game. Hey, guys. Anybody want to watch the Purdue game? We're going to go get a six-pack of cold ones, Odul, non-alcoholic uh, beer, and we're going to nurse a cold one. I mean, is that what I say? You know, like, that's not an issue. Non-fermented beer, non-alcoholic beer and wine is not relevant to college students. So I'm talking about real beer and wine today, and the Bible talks about it big time. Um, now, let's start with the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say about um, alcohol, and specifically, not the ceremonial use, but um, drinking to excess, because there's a lot of passages about ceremonial use of wine in the Old Testament. We're looking at wine, alcohol, and it's drinking that to excess. So number one, Proverbs 20, verse 1, it says this, wine is a mocker, 
Strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Wine is a mocker. Is a mocker, somebody that makes fun of people, and strong drink is a brawler. It's interesting that the author of Proverbs is using the word brawler because, man, how many fights break out in high school and universities because guys get drunk? Anybody seen that? You put some beer in somebody, you put some alcohol in them, man, it just like amplifies them. If they're a uh, I almost swore in church. I gotta watch myself. It just amplifies your personality. We'll leave it at that. Okay? You, the guards get down and you get these guys that have a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of anger. And you get these four, five, six beers in them. They become ballers, right? You've, some of you have seen it and it hasn't changed. It was like that from the early days. And my life is a testimony. If I would have avoided that, I wouldn't have a, a criminal charge and I wouldn't have hurt somebody. Alcohol leads to brawling. And Proverbs 20, 21, getting drunk is not wise. Those that are led astray by beer and alcohol are not wise. Look at the second one, Proverbs 21, 17. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. If you are a hedonist who loves pleasure, if you... In, in, this, he's not saying somebody that likes the taste of wine. He says he who loves wine, he who adores wine, almost to the point of worshiping wine, those that love it that much will not be rich. Why? Because you are un incapable of accomplishing things financially when you're in bondage to alcohol. How many people do you know that have been enslaved to any substance and it's hard for them to even hold down a job, let alone get rich? Now, he also throws an oil there. I don't know why. Okay, don't ask me that question. I just pray it's not olive oil. That's all I have to say. I can tell you this. Since he's talking about drunkenness and, and, and loving wine prevents you from being rich, there's there's an argument that, that's going around in culture. It's been around for 2,000 years or longer than that. How can you, as a, a believer, give 10% of your income to God? That's so crazy. You tithe. How can you tithe 10% of your income to God? I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that, and yet they give way more than 10% of their income to cigarettes, to weed, to alcohol, to parties. It's a question of value system, right? And so those that value God and value the church and love Jesus above all else, we're, we give to what we love, right? And the proverb is saying here, if your love is wine, you're going to give your money to that, your time, and then you ain't going to be rich. So be ready. Proverbs 31, 4 through 7. Um, this is interesting. This is uh, one of my favorite chapters in Proverbs. And, and listen to this passage. I think, do I have it? Oh, no, I don't have it. Yeah, right there. Sorry. Okay. Uh, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, to guzzle wine. Um, so again, this is, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe this is Solomon's mother speaking to Solomon, giving him wisdom. So it is not for kings, O Lemuel, to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave liquor. For if they drink, they may forget their duties and be unable to give justice to those who are oppressed. Liquor is for the dying. Wine for those in deep depression. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. 
that last sentence is so crucial. We need to just camp out for a moment there. Listen to this again. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. Alcohol is used very, very often to escape reality. To check out because the pain is too great. My past is too deep and painful. My current life is so hard to handle. I'm going to check out. And that's always the root of all addiction. It's always that. It's always a desire to escape. It's, it's, it's a desire to escape and self-medication. This is not, and this is alcohol. This is prescription drug abuse. This is illegal drugs. This is sexual sin. It is, I don't, I can't handle my pain. I can't handle this situation. I'm going to escape. So I just escape into a, uh, a peg or into a bottle of wine. And isn't it interesting that this was written 3,000 years ago and nothing has changed? The same thing. People were hurting then. They were in tremendous pain. They didn't like the world, and so they wanted to escape. And what Solomon's mother is saying here is, don't do it. Don't escape from reality. I know you might be tempted. Don't do it. Man, I'm, I'm tempted at times to escape from reality. Um, not to get drunk. I tempted. Uh, not that I couldn't be tempted to be drunk, and that would be, if I was, I'd have to battle it. It's just not my temptation. But I'm tempted sometimes to escape. I have these fleeting thoughts at times. Um, thoughts that you never share with anybody. And I'm going to share it with you at church. You ever have thoughts you think, I think I shouldn't share this with anybody? Well, I'm going to. I'm going to free you up here because you probably have the same thoughts. Um, sometimes I'm driving down the road, and if it's been a particularly difficult season of life, right? And I think a thought like this, and I, and I have a lot of responsibilities, right? I'm a husband to a wonderful woman. I have four children that we have raised, um, wonderful uh, son in law and future daughter in law. And two beautiful grandbabies. I have an incredible campus ministry. I'm a campus missionary. I've got a great church with you guys that I pastor. I'm responsible for. There's a lot of responsibilities that I have. And there's sometimes when I'm driving down the road and I just think, man, I'm just going to pick up candy. I'm just going to never see me again. <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be like Bilbo. I'm going to put that ring on and see you later. Going to Rivendell. I'm gone. Where did Nino go? Where, where's Pastor Nino? Oh, he's gone. I don't know. I'm out. They just escaped. Now, would I do it? Of course not. I would not do it. If I was going to do it, I would have done it by now. Um, but, so what What do I do? I, I learn how to handle that in a healthy way, right? Um, and, and that's it's a whole other sermon. It's another topic we don't have time for. But learning how to not self-medicate and how to not escape from responsibility and pain in a healthy way. And maybe it's talking to somebody that you're close to. For me, it's going to lift heavy weights. It's therapy. And I found a way to do it, right? There's things I can do that are healthy and help me not to check out from life. And I know many of you here have been victims of of parents that checked out. Moms checked out. Fathers checked out. Some of you are probably came from homes where they were physically present, but they checked out through addiction, right? Alcohol abuse, prescription drugs. This is real talk. 
right? And some of you literally had people check out. Like, see you later. I mean, you just left. Um, so what I'm trying to tell you is what, what Proverbs 31 is saying is it, it's not a sin to be tempted because life is hard. Man. I mean, it's just it's hard at times. It's also great, but it's hard. And in those hard times, listen to Proverbs 31. Don't check out. Don't guzzle wine to escape. Chesterton, I don't know, I always bring him up. And I did not even plan this. And I'm not endorsing what he said, what I'm about to say. But he said, never drink to be happy. You only drink to be and, and that is really deep, and it might not seem deep, but you think chew on that for the next 10 years. Don't drink to be happy. He's dealing with this escapism, this desire to go after something to fill you with what only God can be for you. So, um, amazing. And I'll tell you what, I have an H2O version. We have an H2O translation of this scripture. Are you ready for it? You might not. Core leaders didn't even know this. We have an H2O translation. Let's look at it. All right. We're going to read this together. We don't usually read the scriptures together um, in a participatory way. But I thought today it would be really powerful to participate. Uh, can we do that? We're gonna, so I'll lead us in. If you can read it out loud with me. Let's read this. Proverbs 31, 4 through 7. And it is not for students to guzzle beer and wine. Leaders should not crave whiskey. For if they drink, they may forget their duties and be unable to give justice to those who are oppressed. Liquor is for the dying, and beer for those in deep depression. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. H2O version, translated this week by Pastor Nino. It was tough. This is true. There's a guy I went to high school with. I, I shared with you guys my story of high school. There was a kid, obviously I won't say his name to protect his identity, but his, I observed his life as a young man, and it is an illustration of Proverbs 31 and what we just read. He's way more smart than me, way more, just naturally. You know, some people are just naturally brilliant, remembers everything he reads. Smart. His dad, very brilliant. No one in our community reported. We both went to U of M. Everybody knew he'd go here. No one even understood how I got here. This day. My grades at U of M, way better than Way better. And you know why? He gave himself to alcohol. And it's just, it's unwise. My, I, I transferred, the way I got here is I transferred. Yeah, hallelujah. Any transfer students? Yeah, transfer students! Man, I saved a bunch of money and I got in. So I went to Western Michigan on academic probation. Um, I don't know, they just were desperate for money. They let me in. I went there, I got saved, and then I started doing really good in school. I'm like, oh, I'm getting almost all A's. It was crazy. And then my friend wanted to transfer to U of M. We, I said, okay. I mean, literally, that's how I got it. You know, you guys try your whole life. My goal since I was six years old is to be at the University of Michigan. Not me. Chris, Chris Norman came to me and said, hey, you want to go to Michigan? That'd be really cool. What do we do? Fill out an application. Filled it out. And my grades were really good at Western because I got saved and I was prospering me. I got accepted. We came to U of M. We had to actually talk with somebody. We went to U of M, and there was like this academic advisor that was, you know, wanted to get to know us, and he said, looked at me and said, you're just the kind of student that we're looking for in the University of Michigan. I said, wow, all right. Praise the Lord. This is favor. I'm blessed and highly favored. 
And so I applied, I get in. I come here. And when I came here, I had made a decision with my best friend, Chris Norman. We're going to start over. Remember the guy that drove the duster? That was Chris Norman. And we both got saved. And we said, man, we're going to serve Jesus at Yoga. We're going to grow spiritually, get some good friends. It's going to be amazing. Best time of our life. And that was our desire. Well, of course, when my old friends heard that I was coming, that were already here, they called me. The first weekend I got here, they called me. Hey, man, we're going to come pick you up. We're going to a party. Okay. And I was thinking, man, I shouldn't do that. We're going to do it different. And Chris Norman was gone for the weekend. And so um, two, two of my friends who will remain nameless, we'll call them Beavis and Butthead. Uh, <laughs> Beavis and Butthead picked me up. And uh, uh, I've known these guys a long time, partied with them. So Beavis and Butthead picked me up. We went to a party on campus. Again, you know, in a lot of freshmen here, this is all new to them. The frat scene. For me, it was just, it was all I knew. So I'm like, it wasn't like, oh, wow, it's so cool. I'm like, here we go again. Sticky basement floors, stale beer, women not dressed, men lusting after them, been there. You know what I mean? It was my whole world. Yeah, I get it. Um, did I just describe it pretty well? Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, here we go. But I started drinking. That's all I knew. And I, I didn't do anything sinful that night besides drunkenness, thank God. But I just crashed on a, on a couch because my Beavis and Butthead left. I don't know. They probably left with some girls. And literally, I didn't know where Beavis was. Butthead's gone. I just fell asleep on a couch. I woke up. Saturday morning on a couch. Been there, done that many times. I'm like, this is this is not right. That's not what I want to do. I'm serving Jesus now. I love the Lord. I'm baptized. But that was immediately that that was that was the direct trajectory of my life here at U of M. Again, the devil was trying to come against me. Thankfully, I have my best friend Chris Norman. So on Monday, um, one of our other roommates knew that I got drunk. So Monday morning, Chris Norman goes, and he loves me enough to rebuke me. So I hope you can rebuke your friends and love them enough. He goes, I go, what? He said, why don't you go get wasted? Remember we said we're going to serve God? We're going to do things differently here. He said, yeah, you're right. That's stupid. And, uh, and we, got, we went to a Pi Alpha meeting that next week. And that changed the trajectory of my life. But um, I'm just, I just want you to know that, like, those that are guzzling wine and, and, and trying to escape from their, their pain, it's a bad road to be on. And I could have went down it longer, but God had grace. So thank you for letting me meander with these stories. Uh, I hope it's, it's helping you somewhat. That's the Old Testament scriptures I want to talk about. There's a lot more. But you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's Old Testament, brother. I live in the era of grace. I'm in the New Testament. I don't live by the law anymore. I'm in the New Testament. Give me the grace. Okay. Well, let's look at the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the New Testament also talks about alcohol and alcohol abuse and alcohol use and proper usage of it. It's very relevant. Let's look at 1 Timothy 3. This is a passage that um, the Apostle Paul is writing to who we call now St. Timothy, who was a bishop. So he's giving instructions about leaders in the church. And this is a small snippet of the type of character you're looking for in the, in the church, right? So he says this, Now the overseer must be above reproach. 
the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. And here again, uh, we see the importance of having leaders who don't get drunk. The New Testament, I mean, this is, this is a very important command. This is the very inception of the church. And the leaders that were raised up in the early church set the whole trajectory for 2,000 years where we are, saying these are the things you want. Certainly it's not the only thing we look for, but one of the characteristics of being above reproach is you don't get wasted and blasted, right? Now, there's another principle that I want to talk about. This is a New Testament principle that is not just about alcohol, but it applies to many areas of your life, and it's found in Romans 14. I didn't put it up there, but I call this, well, I don't know what this a lot of people do. This is the do not make others stumble principle. Have you ever heard people talk about that? Like, you know, hey, does that make, I don't want to make people stumble. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes people joke about it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you don't want to make them stumble, you know? They don't wear a tank top, you know? The muscles are so big, you're going to make them stumble. Of course, they're, they're skinny. But it's just a joke. But there is a reality here. There is a serious side where we don't want our behavior to make other people stumble into sin. We want to live in such a way that we wouldn't cause them to stumble. We want to help them. So this is a principle, and it can apply to drinking as well. Let's read it. This is Paul again. He says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Let's try to break that down. I'm going to give an illustration of what Paul is saying in terms of food, but we could apply this to alcohol as well, which maybe I will in a minute. But this could be food. Let's say I've got a friend who's a Jewish man, and he's never ate pork his whole life. And I've been witnessing to him and sharing Jesus, and this guy is radically transformed. He meets Christ. Man, it's amazing. He gets saved. He has a water baptism event. He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's growing in Christ. Amazing. But he still isn't sure about eating pork. Now, he sees Christians eating pork, but he's, you know, from him, I've never been able to do that. That's an unclean animal. I don't feel comfortable doing that still. I have no, I mean, I'm, my family, my dad's family came from Sicily. Pork is a huge part of their life. Basically everything is all, all food. Seafood, land animals, birds of the sky. My grandpa would eat anything. Literally anything. One time, okay, you don't believe me? Listen to this. My grandpa had this beautiful home with this big picture, glass picture window overlooked his widow. 
one time, but it was, you keep it so clean, you couldn't even see it. Sometimes birds would run into it. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that. We have birds that run into my, our windows too. Well, this time it was a big bird, it's a pheasant. Sucker hit his window so hard, broke the window. You know what my grandpa did? He picked it up, plucked it, and he ate that thing. He ate the pheasant. Sicilians eat anything. He, they think I'm kidding. I'm sure the Texas people might do something like this. My, my grandpa would find, my grandpa would find rabbits on the road and he would stop his car to feel it. What are you doing? I'm saying if it's hot. If it's hot, he just died, he could bring it home, skin it, and he'd eat the rabbit. That's it. So, I, that's my culture. We eat everything. And plus, the New Testament does not prohibit the consumption of pork anymore. You could read in Acts about that. That was a huge part of the religion. But my friend who's the new convert, who's this Jewish Christian, he doesn't eat pork. How, how do you think this would make him feel? It's Advent, and I make my Italian homemade Italian sausage, which I do every year. I'll probably make 50 pounds this year. It's the best year I've had it. If you haven't had it, you're missing out. So do you think I should go knock on his door? Hey, brother, I'm bringing you a present. I brought, brought you five pounds of my homemade Italian sausage. It's made of pork. Right? So, okay, it's not sinful for me to eat that, but my behavior around him is now crossing the line to sin because I am causing him to stumble because he's not yet at a place where he can eat that pork with a clean conscience. So I am causing him to do something that can violate his conscience. And this is what Paul is trying to say. This is a simplistic illustration, but it applies to food and it applies to beer as well. And it ties into alcohol use. So here's the big question in your mind, and I'm going to transition to this. I think these are two of the biggest questions I get about sex and dating and alcohol. Are you saying it's a sin to drink alcohol? And are you saying it's a sin to kiss? These are the two things. If you ask that question, I think there's a misunderstanding of the, of the depth of that question. Because no, it's not a sin to drink alcohol. I mean, I can't argue from the scriptures that if you drink a beer, you're in sin. I, I'm not going to argue that someone that's in France and was raised in that culture and they love Jesus Christ and their family has wine with their dinner every night, you're you're in massive sin, you got to repent and you're going to go to hell. That's a part of their culture. But I'll tell you that if they're drinking a bottle of wine, they're in sin. And... And notice I'm saying it's not a sin to drink a beer if you're 21 and older. Right? Because I think we all know it's illegal when you're under 21, right? You guys probably don't know that. Just to break that to you, it is illegal in America if you're under 21. But I would say this, so I'm not going to argue something and twist the word, but I will say this. I would encourage you as college students to really abstain from drinking alcohol around college students because this principle applies. Do not make others stumble. You don't want other college students to think that you're condoning this, that you are you are saying it's okay to get drunk. You might say, hey, I drink a half beer and it takes me two hours and I don't even feel anything. It's just I like the taste of it. Or I drink a glass of wine with my, with my buddies. Yeah, I did that. But what about the new convert that's an alcoholic that sees that and you can make him stumble? So I would give you counsel to really think about that. 
Are you causing somebody to stumble through your participation in alcohol use, even moderate alcohol use? At the same time, I don't want you to hear me and then go home. Let's say your family is an Italian family or a German family because they all drink beer. And let's say, just kidding, I say things to get responses and no one laughs, probably because it was inappropriate. If it was, I will only make fun of Sicilians from now on because I can always make fun of my own people. Those dagos drive me nuts. So, listen. You Say your family drinks wine, you're 23 years old, and that's your Christmas tradition, and nobody gets slammed, and it's just this, hey, we saved the bottle of wine, you drink the wine slowly. I, I don't want you to go home and feel guilty and cause rift with your family, like, oh, your pastor said you can't drink, it's not sin. I get that. I'm not saying it's sinful to drink a little alcohol. But when you're at the university, I really want to caution you guys to think about how your behavior can make others stumble and live a life that is above reproach. Does that make sense? I'm trying to be really honest with you intellectually because I don't want to twist the word, but at the same time, I don't want to cause you to stumble. Like, I don't want you to leave church and go, Pastor Neil said I can get blasted, man. <laughs> Woo! You know, tamp the keg, baby! Isaac and Elliot and I are having a good time tonight. I mean, sorry, Elliot Isaac. I don't know why I thought of you guys when I, when I thought of a keg. You're the first ones that came to it. Just kidding, Isaac. I, I'm not worried about it. But again, I don't want, I don't want to make you stumble, but at the same time, I don't want to twist the scripture. So, um, there's one other thing, and then I, I need to land the plane here with, with really the, the what you should do. I don't want to tell you what you shouldn't do. I want to tell you what you should do and what you can do. Um, I also want to say, don't separate yourself from people that are getting drunk. Thank God people reached out to me. Like, we don't want to be these like holier-than-thou Christians. Like We have core groups, and we're so holy, but we never talk with anybody in the dorm. You know, like... Um, you guys meet Stockwell, that's your, your, your dorm. I don't want you guys to feel like, oh, we don't talk to them. They, they're, they're drunkards. No, man, they're people that need Jesus. Thank God somebody talked to me. Thank God somebody talked to you, right, about the Lord. So I would love to see a culture in H2O where we minister to people that are drinking. We minister to people that are getting drunk. We minister to those that are hurting. We minister to those that are trying to escape reality because there's so much pain. That's who we're called to reach. You understand? I'm not saying like, ooh, big bad alcohol. I mean, be with the people, but live above reproach. That's my. That's what I try to do. Um, be with the people that need the Lord, but live above reproach. And Jesus did the same thing. He went to parties. I think it's safe to say he didn't get drunk. He wasn't tossing. He wasn't doing pastries. He had a mission. A mission from the Father was to seek and save the lost. And he said that it's the sick that need the physician, not those that are well. So he went to the parties where the people were sick and he ministered healing and he loved them. And they loved him. Those that got drunk loved Jesus. The religious people hated him. People that smoked pot would have loved him. Why? Because he spent time with them. He cared for them. Right? He went to the people who are hurting. So this isn't a message to say stay away from them. It's a message to say caution in terms of drunkenness and live above reproach as a college student at this university. That's enough of what don't do. Let's, what do we do? Well, the Bible tells us what to do, and it's way more exciting than getting drunk, because I've tried both. And it's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, if we could put that scripture up. This is 
much better than drunkenness. Ephesians 5 8. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. God is not a God that's sitting in heaven just with a list of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do this. Haven't you heard of the commandments? He's a God that has a purpose and a destiny for your life of, of joy and peace and fulfillment. It's so much higher than what these, these counterfeit things are. So again, don't, don't escape pain. Don't escape the world through substances, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and experience that and I discovered that I told you my story about alcohol but let me tell you an exciting story that I can end in before we, we pray I went to fall retreat some of you guys went to fall retreat for the first time I went to my first fall retreat as a junior remember I, I got in here somehow I'm a junior and they said hey you're going to fall retreat I'm like oh what is that okay and I ended up I was there I went to fall retreat not knowing what it was, and I found all these crazy, there's like a hundred plus radical young people that were like raising their hands and worship and speaking to God and kneeling down. And this guy came to the front and said, hey, I want to pray for you guys to be filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it was. All right, God's doing, giving out things. I'm ready. I came to the front and... They started playing music, and I had an encounter with Jesus. The Holy Spirit was poured out from heaven in my life. And I just remember laying on the ground, just feeling this most amazing like waves of God's grace and, and power and peace. And it was a stark difference in what I had just lived two months before. I'm like, oh, this is what I'm this, the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I remember, I, I felt the only thing I could think of is like this, and again, bear with me. I know I might say things that seem like heretical, but I'm just trying to let you know the mind of Nina when I was talking. I was laying on the ground and I thought, this is kind of like being high. And I don't feel guilty. Again, I didn't know. I just... I was one of the guys that needed to be reached that I'm talking about, that your core groups are trying to reach. Just a real guy, you know? And somebody reached me, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and I thought, this is, this is good. And I, and I remember thinking, and I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I won't feel guilty. Such a weight off my shoulders. Now, there'll be no guilt. I can, she told me I can be filled with the Holy Spirit, experience this, and not be guilty. This is what I've been created for. And, um, and I got up off the ground, I walked around, I started hugging everybody and telling them I loved them. My friends in high school would never start having me. That's really. Lord, you're helping me. I just stopped myself from saying things. I almost said something I shouldn't. I'll just say it this way. You thought it was strange. <laughs> okay, so I didn't. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, high school boy? It was just. Maybe it was the 80s. I didn't know. But I started hugging everybody. I love you, man. I love you. I felt like a hippie or something, but on Jesus. I love you. And I and then I just I had like the munchies. But it was Holy Spirit munchies. And I started eating popcorn and it was like, this is amazing. 
I was filled with the love of God. I'm, I'm, this is a true story. I was so excited. Jonathan used to go to those retreats. He knows he got baptized in the Holy Spirit at one of those retreats I'm talking about. I remember that day. Wow. You messed up by the Lord there. It was incredible. So that is what God is saying. It's not, he's not saying, don't get drunk. He's saying, don't, don't be drunk. That's going to ruin your life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not even worth comparing. It's so much better. It is better, isn't it? There's nothing like that feeling being filled. So today we're going to go into worship and uh, hopefully be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to have the worship band come down. We'd like to uh, I just take the time to respond. and uh, The band's going to lead us, but you can stay in your seats if you want. And just let's really spend some time worshiping God together. Amen. Sometimes for me, I don't know if it's like this uh, for you, but when I come to church, I... I sometimes feel that the first four songs of worship we do is just kind of waking me up to actually, oh, okay, so we're worshiping God now. Does anybody, and I'm the pastor. Does anybody understand what I mean? It's like busy week, stress, studies. You come to church, you're like, I'm just not there. You know what I mean? I'm not ready to like, Jesus! I mean, if you're one of those people, praise the Lord, come to the front with me. I need you. But sometimes it just takes a while to get me ready to like enter in. This is what we're doing now. The seasons are changing slowly. Now I'm ready. So we want to take more time now to worship God together and really press into Him. Amen? Let's lift Him up. He is worthy. Um, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you've never received the gift of tongues, we'd love to pray with you today. Come to the front. See what the Holy Spirit will do in your life. Um, if you have already and you just want more, then just you can come to the front if you want to pray. You can pray in your seat, wherever. But we want to just be filled with the Holy Spirit today in such an amazing way and be lights for Christ in this place. Amen.